you are listening to Lightning Strikes Thrice, a Final Fantasy Thirteen series game club podcast. This is episode 11, covering chapter 13, and I am your host, Chris Taylor, and with me is... This is Graham Markison. And I'm Matt Marcus. When we last left off, we had finished chapter... You know what? Fuck yeah. it. Let's read the data log. When the blinding flash of light fades, where there are soldiers now stand a mindless thief, with no focus to complete, their souls are stripped from them at the instant of their transformation. Thus do foul sea dispose of humans whose usefulness has ended. Roche, the sole survivor, defends the Sanctum army and their obedience to the foul sea law. Even though he harbors doubts as to the foul sea's true intentions, the peace and harmony of Cocoon cannot be upheld without them. It is his desire to protect the stability of society that allows him to commit atrocities such as the purge. The end justifies the means. Realizing his error in judgment, the SICOM director still cannot change what is done. The only remaining path is to live his final moments as he'll try to live his life in the service of Cocoon. The conflict among the people is coming to an end, but the danger to Cocoon is not over, not until Bartandalus and his schemes are defeated. So that's what's happening in the plot? Because I had no idea. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. Sorry, I wasn't listening. Let me read this. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're not trying to defeat Bartan. Well, like, maybe we might defeat Bartandalus. Oh, no. Okay, yeah. This is before Bartandalus reveals that lol gotcha again, still doing what I wanted. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah. It's very yeah. stupid. The heroes enter Orphan's Cradle, a cathedral like foyer. While wondering where the Calvary is, they find they've all been turned to seeth. Then the cathedral walls break down, and it's revealed that Orphan's Cradle is a surreal, abstract void. Like the entirety of this game. <laughs> oh. Sick burn. The, the theme to this place, Orphan's Cradle, wow. might be one of my favorite... Like, it's my favorite Final Dungeon theme in the franchise. It's a very creepy dark ambient track that's great by itself but what makes it truly special how towards the end this eldritch organ track comes in it's easily one of the most experimental tracks in the franchise's history and it's so good it's really great yeah i i gotta say like my favorite part of doing this podcast has been cutting in the music it's it's a lot of fun and there's some good stuff in there you mean you didn't enjoy playing the game I enjoyed playing the game, but I mean, editing the podcast, like making the actual podcast. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. Uh, no, I'm, you know <laughs> what? I'm just trying to get digs in. It's fine. So while the heroes travel deeper into this abstract landscape, three servant Falci arrive and create three portals for the Lissy heroes. 
Only two of these are active, but one of them has the ability to warp the heroes back to Eden's plazas. I don't know why you would do that, but you can go there. And the other warps the heroes to Grand Pulse, uh, specifically the Valis Midia. If the player wants to return to the previous area, this is how you do it. So if you don't want to go to the end game, which you, you should, but if you didn't want to do that, you could go back and, and muck around on Pulse. You should wait. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of a, a gameplay band-aid. I mean, you have so much momentum at this point trying to go to the end of the game. And spoiler, you get the final Crystarium expansion by beating the final boss, which you will need for the post-game and uh, inside mission stuff. So yeah. you really, if, if you wanted a break or wanted to do something else, you can go do that. But it's not really worth it. But this is, this is how, like, after you beat the game, you go back to Pulse. Yeah, I'm also very confused by these uh, these servant fallacy ladies. I mean, they're a pretty cool design to them. They're kind of lanky and they got I think they look great, but I don't know why they're here. I there's nothing in the data log that describes what they are and why they exist. They're just kind of there. This whole level just kind of exists for no reason. It's there because the game was only 55 hours long and they're like, what if it was longer? Okay, like about these fallacy ladies is like I looked up what I could about them, and all I got was uh, information describing them as servant fallacy. But you mm -hmm. know what? I remember. Uh, I think it was uh, you know that one CGI cutscene where Snow and Sarah are escaping from uh, Sanctum, and they're running away right. from uh -huh. like uh, them on the beach. Yep. I think one of these servant fallacies appear in that cutscene. Okay. So I don't know what to think of them. This area is explicitly like an alternate dimension dreamscape. So, I mean, rules don't matter at this point. It's just whatever the guys making the game want to put in front of you. Right. Visually, I like it as a final dungeon. Yeah, it looks cool. So I went back to Grand Pulse at this time through the portals, and I I had a good time. Like, at this point, I was able to defeat the Adamantises with, like, Vanille Summon Death Trick. It was pretty successful. Mm -hmm. The path is set for the player to approach one of the Falci servants. The path is abstract, rectangular platforms, a surreal dungeon space. Along the way, the player encounters new enemies formed into excruciating enemy parties. For the record, I don't, I don't have anything nice to say until we get to the last boss. I am... So goddamn tired of incredibly long combat dungeons that exist for literally no reason other than to make the game longer. There's like one fight in this entire area that I think is interesting and it's a boss and I absolutely hate the entirety of this area. Yeah, I I thought this was going to be another one of those awful death marches to Bartandalus like we saw at the end of chapter nine and it's not great, but it's not nearly as And like chapter as... 10. No, chapter... And like chapter 11. <laughs> and like chapter 12. Or chapter 12. No, but some of these fights... I mean, these fights aren't nearly as much of a, a of a slog, at least for me, until we get to the later part where they just reuse bosses over and over again. But I just... That's when I stopped. I skipped a lot of uh, encounters in this area. And you don't... Yeah, I mean, you don't have to fight everything. In fact, like, if you're... Most of the items here are... Upgrade materials you can just easily buy, and not all of them are the super expensive ones. So, eh, you know, it's 
it, the thing I that gotta, was frustrating I about... I gotta look in every corner. I fought too many guys. Yeah. I had to look in every corner, and it was never anything worth doing it. Nope. I don't know why I didn't stop. Yeah, though, the thing that gets frustrating about this is because it's abstract, and because every time you get to an end of a section, they just warp you and reshape the thing into a new section, you just have no idea when it's going to end. <laughs> and and that is, like, a little demoralizing, because it's like, why is this here? Why are they making me run down a third hallway? You know? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Anyway, get, getting ahead of the podcast a little bit. In this area, in addition to a lot of sacrifices, you fight new velo cycles, which just have a giant laser. And then we have an enemy called the Magreem Thresher? Is that the is that the fish guy? No, that's like the big uh, bulking mech that has like four legs and shoots. Oh, yeah, it's the proud clad thing. It's similar to is the it proud clad thing. Yeah. It's not quite the it same. It looks shape. like the proud it's, got, it's kind of one of those. It's not it's like the like same that. model though, no. is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's different. Oh, is this the one it's with the can- like a somewhat- This is the one with the underslung yeah. cannon I think we fought yep. in chapter 8. Mm. As a boss. Oh yeah, that guy. I think it's that guy. You're right. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. So they just hit you a bunch, yep. and that guy has a very powerful repeating attack. When the player approaches the fallacy servant, the geography changes, and the player enters a new dungeon path, a trial, if you will. New enemies in this area include the Dragonite, a Sahagan enemy. Dagon. Dagonite? It's Dagonite. It's Lovecraft stuff. It's Dagon. Dagonite. Okay. New enemies include the Dagonite, a Sahagan enemy with an annoying rush attack, which knocks your characters over and makes them reset. This just becomes a problem because you fight them in two or three at a time. But, you know, I was able to sneak up on these guys, which makes them super easy. That's true. Mm -hmm. Later on, there are these Sanctum Templars, a new version of the Templar enemies. They aren't terribly awful, but they do dispel buffs and often come with friends. Most of the enemy parties in this road pair up Dagonites or vampires with other allies, making them just really tough. I, I don't know what it is. I guess this area, it should be really narrow and should be able to be seen very quickly. But I just like snuck up behind so many of these battles and made them trivial. Maybe that's why I had such an easier time. Yeah, I wound up getting almost no preemptives this entire time. Yeah. It's just here is some suffering. Oh, here's this fish guy you fought 40 different times before, but now he can slow you and it takes even longer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the game kind of ran out of ideas to mix up their enemies a little bit here. But like two and a half chapters ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the end of this part of the dungeon is one of the Falci servants who warps the party to a uh, cathedral arena where they must fight Bandersnatch and Jabberwocky, which is a, uh, a repeat boss from earlier. The boss battle isn't too hard. It's a callback to the Anlil and Anki fight with Vanille and Zaz towards the beginning of the game. Bandersnatch is completely immune to physical damage, while Jabberwocky is immune to magical. Their attacks and abilities aren't especially notable. It just takes a long time to beat them because they have high resistances. It sucks. It's not challenging in any way. It just takes a long time. Yeah, and uh, they could heal each other. That's kind of the one thing. So I would like knock the little guy up in the sky with launch and I wouldn't be able to kill it before the stagger ends, even with using army of one. Because 
uh, the other one would just be healing it. So I don't know if I targeted the wrong one first, but I ended up getting like three stars on this. It wasn't, it was okay. They're, they're the same. It doesn't matter which one you target. One of them has like a thousand more hit points than the other. Gotcha. Yeah. So you just kind of have to knock one until it's dead and then kill the other one. It's not that interesting or inspired. Oh man, I just realized that this could take even longer if you didn't get ruin on hope. Mm. Because then you have the guy who's just immune to hope. Ooh. Well, I mean, the the, the, the chain gauge still builds, I think. Even if you're not doing damage, yeah. at the very least, you get the stagger going more quickly. After the battle, the heroes are transported back to another area in the Shapeless Void, and you're, you're slightly closer to the end, and then you get a cutscene where the heroes lament on the horror of fighting their way through scores of falling cavalry. Hope thinks it's a trick by Bartandalus meant to demoralize them and to make them feel guilty for having to fight former humans. But they were also fighting human humans. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, you fight human humans. Yeah, ones that aren't like zombies. Like you, you could say like killing a Seath is just like putting something out of their misery because they're not really alive anyway. They're practically, you know, they're more or less brain dead. But yeah, you killed a lot of humans back there in chapter 12. I don't know what. <laughs> What, why this what one? about the part uh, where we blew up a race <laughs> yeah and just murdered everybody like you know racing in the nascar stadium <laughs> what about the part where we boarded an enemy command center airship and killed all of the humans on it <laughs> exactly yeah no uh it's weird that they're trying to go to this angle here it just it falls flat but the second trial features tesseracted is that a word i guess it's a word it's a good word anyway the second trial features tesseracted platforms blocked by enemy parties. The only new enemy here is the Immortal, which is another one of those centaur enemies. It's guarding the middle. It's one of those ones that summon the centurion blades. And it, it, I think this one has a tail whip attack, so it interrupts you with physical attacks more often than the other versions. Otherwise, it's more or less the same. I popped this Deceptisol, and I, you know, just went ham on it's this guy. Butt. Yeah. I wish I had a Deceptisol. This was the hardest fight in the game. Dude, I don't know what it was, but starting chapter 12, I had like 12 Deceptisols. I had a lot. And so I, I haven't even gone through half of them at this point, like even in the post game, because every once in a while I'll see an obnoxious fight and be like, I can't sneak up on this guy. He's facing me. I'm just going to pop a Deceptisol and, you know, beat the crap out of him. So I did. And. Behind him is a little warp gate, which sends you into upper levels that have items and then you go back down. I thought this was going to be a shortcut because, you know, it looks like, you know, you're going around in a circle and then there's a line through the circle. And I thought, oh, you fight the one hard guy so you don't have to fight the mobs on the sides. But no, you go up, you grab a few items and then it warps you back to the beginning of the area. So you still have to go around. <laughs> <laughs> and then Square Enix leans over and whispers in your ear, why not both? <laughs> if the player, like, it, uh, the items here, it, they're very useful, including, like, oh. a weirding glyph, which increases magic a, a good amount, and an elixir. Like, the only elixir in the game, right? Yeah, I mean, they're a good, I the items are good, like, you still want to do it, it's just, it faked me out into thinking I was doing the, the fast path, when it's really just extra content. Sort of. Yep. One yeah. of like the worst and toughest uh, little encounters in this game was actually a Thresher and a Templar, and dear God, was it awful. That was tough, yeah. Then there's one with the Thresher and two vampires, and like, relatively speaking, that was a lot better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, we fight more guys for like half an hour, and then we get to another boss. And I like this boss. It's the Vladislaus. Yeah, it's it's German. Sure. It's a new kind of enemy, and it's very different. Unlike the most enemies in the game, it has a stagger point of uh, 999%, so the player is probably never going to stagger it because it has a very small health pool. The battle's more about keeping up your damage output while dealing with how much damage it does. Yeah, it's a samurai-like enemy sea thing. It's got, like, multiple, like, eye stock protrusions on one side, and it's holding the blade, like, upside down, which always looks badass. But its uh, main attack is the Mounting Contempt ability, which inflicts deprotect and deshell, and it also charges up a very powerful physical attack that will kill you if you're not careful. So what you really want to do is just be careful of the debuffs, make sure you have protect if you can, and basically you want to switch over to the sentinel as fast as you can in order to make sure that it gets provoked and attacks the sentinel and doesn't knock out one of your party members. Like I definitely died because lightning got targeted and I died because it just will kill you. Yeah, I like it because your enemies are usually not aggressive at all. They have some game plan that they try to do, which doesn't really do very much more damage and takes long enough to execute Mm -hmm. that you just obliterate them. But this guy's entire thing is, I'm just going to dunk on you as hard as possible, as fast as possible. And it's really great. Yeah, it's it's a pretty intense fight. And even if you have haste, you know, which everyone should be hasted all the time now, it still feels like a back and forth. And it's the kind of thing where I'm so involved with the switching and keeping on top of management. I'm not even noticing that I kill the guy because it's just that frantic. So yeah, it's a good fight. Although it's a brutal fight, it's low HP count makes it very palatable, which I think is kind of interesting because mm-hmm. like definitely in the latter half of the game, it's all about high HP encounters and it's really refreshing to have something that like has, I think less than a million HP. Yeah. It's because of the, the stagger because you can't rely on stagger. This fight is what I want out of the game. It interacts with the system in an interesting way. It totally negates it. Instead of just saying, oh, (laughs) the system lets you do 300% damage, so enemies need 300% hit points. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, it's actually interesting encounter and, like, engages with the systems in a cool way. Yeah. Uh, Good news is, immediately after this cool and unique fight, you get warped back. Literally, the next encounter, 30 seconds after this boss, is this boss again with another guy. Yeah, it's a very, very easy encounter design. From here on till the end of the game, it's just, oh, hey, those bosses, why don't we fight them again? Oh, you fought this guy before. What if you fight two of this guy? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not great. And I actually spent a lot of time farming in this area back uh, during my first playthrough because, I mean, those Vladislaus, they give you like 32,000 CP or something like that. And... If you're able to sneak up on them or if you want to use a Deceptisol, you stagger them at like 999%. And so you just totally wreck them and, you know, get a lot of CP. But this is not the strongest part of the game by a long shot. No. After the fight with Vladislaus, the party is warped to the third trial. A foul sea-like figure, seemingly not seen before, produces a box-like room with ramp platforms going up the side. Enemy encounters include repeats of Vladislaus and the Jabberwocky twins. At the top, there's a fight against three Templars. Reaching the Servant at the end of this trial pits the player against the Tiamat Eliminator. Yeah, this is really great. You just get to fight the same guys that you just fought again. It's fucking fantastic. 
I like to hang out with my new friends. <laughs> I thought the guy in the middle was going to be a fight. I totally forgot it's just there for, uh, I don't know, because it's pretty. No, why would you fight a new thing <laughs> when we already have these things that you're familiar with yeah. that we could just paste more of into the same spot? That requires new assets. Mm-hmm. I mean, I snuck by the uh, the Jabberwocky and Bandersnatch fight Fucking because same. You know, they don't move. They're just looking at you. And you don't think you could like sneak by by like rubbing against the wall and moving past it. But you can. And so I'm like, I'm totally going to skip this fight. This fight wasn't that great the first time and I'm not going to do it again. And there's also like another Vladislaw on the other side that's just hanging out by himself. Like I thought that you kill him and maybe that activates an elevator that skips the whole uh, ramps. But I didn't activate it, whatever. Yeah, this this section, not too good. Wait, what? You can skip all the ramps? I thought that there was an elevator on the other side. So, like, you get up to the ramps, you run across, and then there's a single Vladislaw that I kill it. And I think there's an elevator there, but I don't remember actually seeing one. But somehow, like, in my old memory from the first playthrough, I'm like, oh, and then you can just get on the thing, go all the way up, and then just walk to the way the Templars are. I don't remember that. Yeah, I could be making it up. Right. So the Tiamat Eliminator. So yeah, after you fight the the same boss that you just fought several times and then the other boss right before that, you get into a room where we fight another boss, which is just the Tiamat Eliminator, which is the same boss we've already fought twice. This fight is uh, easier than the fight against the Proud Clad. Uh, it's easier than all of the fights you've been doing, actually. It starts the battle airborne, immune to all elements, uh, has an ice grenade attack, doesn't do a lot of damage, but it does uh, dispel buffs and inflict slow. When the Eliminator lands, it's vulnerable to debuffs, and if staggered, can be launched. Yeah, so it's really just timing which mode it is that you want to, you know, stack your debuffs and get most of your damage in. But yeah, removing your uh, buffs is a huge pain in the ass when you're trying to stay hasted. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the fight, the heroes are brought through the third servant's gate that was inactive earlier. It leads to a rather featureless white hallway called the Narthex. At the end of the hallway is Orphan's Chamber, where the Falci awaits. Heroes enter the chamber and find Bartandalus and his owl, familiar Minerva. Bartandalus summons the crystallized forms of Dodge and Sarah and then destroys them. Snow freaks out, but Zaz is calmer and believes it's a fallacy trick. They attacked Bartandalus. This is the easiest version of fighting Bartandalus. Bartandalus can't do debuffs. His standard attacks do more damage. He has Ultima now, which uh, does a decent amount of damage to everybody. And uh, then his Thanatosian Laughter, instead of just doing a lot of damage, just straight up, because that was a big attack before, is just basically just gravity. Both of these attacks have buildup, so you can switch to a defensive roll before it lands, so it's uh, very possible to just stagger and interrupt it. Yeah, and he's susceptible to debuffs and can't dispel your buffs, so it's a pretty straightforward fight. I thought I was going into the final battle here, and so I was going to 
Pop and Aegisol to get my TP back. I accidentally triggered a Fortisol and an Aegisol beforehand instead and just rushed in and just dunked on him. Like, this fight... Yeah, you just probably fucking creamed him. (laughs) Dude, like, the the estimated time was eight minutes. I did it in two. So it was a very... It was a very fast fight. And I thought, like, oh, I'm going to cruise to the end of this game. And then uh, the next part happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So after the battle, Bartandalus falls into the pool behind him. There's a little pool of water. And then. Yeah, it's like a t- Terminator 2 pool. Yeah, it's, it's got, like, weird physics to it. It's kind of gloopy. And then rises as a new being speaking in a archaic manner. And this being calls itself Orphan. And its design is really cool. It's got like three faces on it. You have like Bartandula's face on the right side looking sideways. You have like a mother-like face, you know, like a Mary-esque face on the top and then a child's-like face in between. And it's just a really neat design. It's pretty badass looking. Yeah. Uh, It's got that voice effect where you have three different voices speaking at the same time. You know, you have like a woman's voice and a man's voice or whatever. And it, it, it sounds really neat. And this is Orphan. And also relevant to this podcast, it's just a giant knife. <laughs> yes, actually. Ooh. <laughs> did we did we uncover like some like really subtle and really intelligent like imagery? Maybe. Probably not though. Yeah, no. it's a uh, yeah. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> anyway, at the start of this battle, Orphan switches between two modes, consummate light and consummate darkness. During light, he will use a sweeping slap attack that'll hit the party for moderate damage and he'll heal HP gradually, however minute. His darkness mode is much deadlier. His laser attack hits a single target for serious damage and inflicts several ailments. And every time he switches modes, he does Merciless Judgment, a devastating fractional damage attack that normally reduces the party to a sliver of HP. Also, it resets Orphan's chain meter. After losing half of its health, it switches to a mode that combines the light and dark. This is actually much easier than the previous forms. Uh, Orphan then just starts using a variety of new moves, some causing debuffs. I'm not going to read this because it's Final Fantasy gibberish, but he has a move that deals moderate damage to all party members. Dies It's Latin. <laughs> uh, the big one, though, is progenitorial wrath, which can instantly kill a party member, including the party leader. Wow, fuck you, game. <laughs> Never saw that. It's a cheap way to get a game yeah, over. No, I, I didn't see that, but uh, yeah, no, this second part of the fight. I got it. I It happened to me this time oh, around. No. Playing. It was like oh, the no. first time. It wasn't yeah. too bad. I didn't care. Whatever. Four minutes. I would have been so angry. Oh, I was. Yeah. I mean, Orphan could also cast Doom, which is, you know, obviously it gives you a timer to at least do something. I didn't run into the Doom in this fight. I never encountered any of these, like, uh, late battle Doom casts that uh, some bosses have in this game. Yeah. What kept happening to me is that Merciless Judgment will come up, and it stops you from controlling your party. Like, your party will still do actions, like auto battle a little bit, but you can't yep. switch paradigms. So if you haven't switched to, like combat clinic before it happens you have to like be very very tight with your switch or else you're just going to get pecked to death you know when you have like one hp left but even if you anticipate it like i would get into a rhythm with this and be able to anticipate when the judgment's going to come in and i would get hit anyway especially in the second half when he has like these two little like light and dark ads that are just shooting lasers and shit 
So I would just play perfectly and die. And it was really annoying. Oh. That only happened. I, oh, I definitely did not die and had a very easy time because what would happen is merciless judgment. I only saw two of them because I killed this fight very fast. Mm-hmm. One time I did a summon, which will just do a bunch of damage, uh, and then at that point the party gets healed, and then the second time they just cast renew. Yeah, I, it's Done. very weird because the first few times I fought it, like I would get it staggered and I would use army of one, and I would basically take off like almost two thirds of its health. And then I would die in the second half. And then later on, I would do the same thing again. And I would only be doing a third of its health. So I ended up going through like three or four, you know, merciless judgments before I could kill it. This particular fight was just difficult for me. I don't know. It just took me a bunch of tries. Yeah, all I, all I did was cast Bravery on Lightning, get everybody hasted, and then just start fucking just army at one all day, every day. Especially considering you can cheese out extra damage with it, because uh, if the animation is happening, they'll stay staggered at 999% until it's over. So the best thing you could do is wait until it's about to end and then cast an army of one and you get in a ton of free, like huge amounts of damage that right, way. But does it does it go into merciless judgment and like interrupt that in the middle of that attacking? Because okay. no. All right. Because that that would have helped. <laughs> That definitely would have helped. Yeah. Oh, it's so he did um, did merciless judgment twice, and I just renewed it away both times. Ah. And then the game was over. Well, not quite. Okay, after battle, Orphan entices a party to give in to their hatred and become Ragnarok. Bang gives in, but the others try to stop her. To stop the others, Orphan turns them into Seath, leaving Vanille and Fang human. When the Seath attack Fang, she transforms into an incomplete Ragnarok and attacks Orphan. But an incomplete Ragnarok cannot kill Orphan, and Fang reverts. Orphan begins torturing Fang to persuade her to become Ragnarok. Uh, and at this point, the party decides not to kill Orphan, I guess? Yeah, I'm extremely confused by this, as I was when I first played the game. <laughs> Nothing's changed. So, I, did, I had no idea what was happening at the end of this game the first time I played it, and I assumed it's because it was I missed something, and it turns out that everything just, like, degenerates into a weird mess of zero motivation. Right, and it's just, like, every time they've been saying, we're gonna kill Orphan, or we're not gonna kill Orphan, or we're gonna <sighs> kill Orphan but save Cocoon instead of destroy Cocoon, and it just it won't pick a lane <laughs> and say, this is what the characters are gonna do, and the reason why is because what happens after this fight just happens. Like, it doesn't make sense. It also makes me super fucking unhappy that somehow Dicely played them yet again. Here's my meta plot wrapped around my meta plot that I previously exposed at you, and now he's an orphan, and, like, I hate it. It's so fucking stupid. Right. Why is he a part of orphan? Why does orphan exist in the first place if it's just Bartandalus? I kind of wonder if, like, the plot of this game is truly, like, broken, and there's no right answer. No, it is. Like, (laughs) yo, it is, yeah. I read all the data logs after this, because I'm like, they had such a good thing going up until chapter 9, and then they threw it all away, and I wanted to know what they discarded all of the good part of the game for, and even in, like, the data logs and doing a bunch of research, it's... For fucking nothing. Well, we should get uh, Justin back on here to read the Ultimania, because I'm sure it's in there. No, not going (laughs) to happen. No more of that. 
It can only be worse. They cannot make it better. <laughs> yeah. But it's like the, this Ragnarok thing, like they built it up so much and I was expecting it to be like Titan level huge, you know, like Titan on Pulse. And it's not. It's just. It, no, she goes like fucking Super Saiyan and that's the game. Super Saiyan with hands. And it's, it, uh, actually, I'd compare I'd compare it to Terra uh, from Final Fantasy VI when Terra goes into her Esper form. I think it it's look, almost like it almost oh, seems yeah, like a go. callback, you know, it also looks like uh, Vanille's Esper, too, with all the hands. Well, continuing bad narrative choices, just then, all of the other heroes magically reappear and are no longer Seath. What was the deal with that? <laughs> then they decide to fight Orphan again after we just decided not to fight Orphan. Oh my god, like, this this was like, okay, so like when they turn to Seath, like, that's pretty affecting, especially when you have, like, you see the one that was lightning trying to reach for the gun blade and not being able to to grab it and spins it out of, out of its reach, like... Oh, man, like I, I knew they weren't going to follow through on it, but it's like, man, that's pretty heavy. And then they just go, oh, yeah, we were just over there. <laughs> it just completely undersells it. And then they over explain that, yeah, we were just in a void drifting off into space and now we're back. And it's like, you didn't have to say that. Just say you were getting mind fucked and that there, there you go. <laughs> don't say anything. Just don't do <laughs> just it. Don't do it. <laughs> uh yeah no it's trying to pull the rug out from under you and then when it decides to put the rug back it also decides to put like a dining room table set on there and like put in a chandelier and then also say isn't this great <laughs> no fuck you no it's no, bad it's, it's so bad <laughs> it's it's real dumb i don't but like this... it oh okay so we decide to fight orphan again because orphan is the enemy of coon and now we've decided that Despite previously thinking fighting Orphan would destroy Cocoon, we're going to do the same action and have the exact opposite result. And then, via plot magic, all of our brands disappear and we're free. Yeah, no, it doesn't... It, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, it, you'd think, like, oh, wait, wouldn't Ragnarok just kill it? And then it, the same thing would have happened. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe Fang would have been, like, too much in, like, Saiyan rage mode to do whatever happens after this fight. But, yeah, it's very, very confused. But anyway... After all that happens, we start round two of the orphan fight. This fight is much easier than the first one. Uh, it's a cool little design. It's got kind of like a sundial, like a gilt sundial look with a little child's face in the middle of it. Oh, it's cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It, it looks, looks very cool. It looks yeah. wild. Yeah. And uh, what it does, it immediately casts Doom on your character. So you only have like, what, 3,000 whatever ticks before you die. It's not a problem at all. This isn't nearly as hard of a fight as the Eidolon fights, but you can't really do damage to it. It's immune to damage until you stagger it. It staggers pretty quickly. Then you can debuff it, and then you just uh, smack it around until it dies. Once Orphan is staggered, their chain gauge will multiply quickly, and it's easy to get to max for devastating damage. Despite its 3 million HP, a well-constructed stagger will make quick work of Orphan. Yeah, I beat this thing immediately in one stagger. Three commandos. Snow, I didn't have three commandos, but Snow was hitting for 99,000 damage. Mm. Did you do most of the post-game before you beat the no. game? No. I did, like, I don't remember, but I probably did, like, a little bit. I only went back to fight a couple Adamantises, and then I went back and finished the game, because it's appropriate. How upgraded was your weapon? Yeah. I don't know. I think it was, like, the second tier power circle. I don't think it was at max yet. But it was right. probably very high because Snow was my main damage dealer. Mm -hmm. And I was working heavily on 
you know, just getting that one to max first instead right. of his Az and Vanille's weapon. Yeah, so like I had all of my characters, well, at least my characters I was using, they had second tier weapons somewhere in the mid to high 30s. And also I had put like two strength up items on Fang. So she had plus 300 strength. So she had like 1500 strength or something and was just hitting like a truck. Mm-hmm. Well, after the fight, Cocoon, having lost its engine, begins to fall out of the sky. Everybody holds on to each other as they fall toward Pulse. Fang and Vanille apparently have a plan. They both combine to transform into the complete version of Ragnarok and break through Cocoon down to Pulse, using the magma from Pulse's surface. Is that what's happening? Isn't it coming off of the bottom of Cocoon, like the re-entry shit Cocoon is melting? Uh, it's a bit of both. It's a little confusing okay. well, visually. A bunch of shit happens. This is like <laughs> end of Evangelion levels of unintelligible but interesting things happening on the screen. They form a pillar between Cocoon and Pulse, and then it crystallizes, and Cocoon is basically suspended from Pulse by the uh, pillar of crystal, and their focus is complete. Which, how do they know they could do this? Why did... Why wasn't this the plan from the beginning? Uh, they just decide, I guess we're saving the day now. And then they go, yes. And then they do it. And I am so confused. It's just, it's literally deus ex machina again. No, fuck it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's very cute that Bang and Vanille end up in crystal stasis with their hands together. You know, it's adorable. Lightning and the other Lassie heroes awake from their crystal sleep because they were temporarily turned crystal. They see that Cocoon is saved. Let's call it saved. And Sarah and Dodge approach from the distance. Saz picks up his boy and Snow gives Sarah a hug. And Sarah, Lightning and Snow talk about marriage. And also they have a conversation with Fang and Vanille like telepathically somehow for some reason. And it just... They shouldn't have done that. It just doesn't. I don't know why that's there other than because, just to be like, because why the fuck not? Because they're like, hey, guys, they're not dead. Sort of. Well, they're kind of frozen again, but now they can talk to you a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> My favorite part about this is you see Saz, see Dodge. Dodge comes running up. You see Snow, see Sarah. And then the game takes like five seconds to have Hope look around and then they show just the empty area where no one's coming. <laughs> the game goes out of its way to uh, dunk on Hope because, hey, guess what? Fuck you, kid. Your mom's still dead. Oh, I know. It like I don't know if that's <laughs> what they meant to do, but that's what it read like to me, too. I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> so yeah. I don't think it was supposed to be so mean-spirited. I don't think it was meant to be like, ha ha, hope your mom's still dead. I think it's supposed to be like sad, like we're supposed to sympathize for hope. He saved the day, but his mom is still dead. Well, yeah, because his mom wasn't a crystal. Again, also, I skipped the part where they shattered the fake crystal versions that both Sarah and Dodge are next to each other and look completely different in crystal form. Again, I don't know why, but... Yeah, it definitely read like he's just like, everyone's getting their loved one back. Is it? Is it? Oh, <laughs> all right. Here's what it is. All that weird uh, plot dust was actually Hope's mom. She just got atomized by that bazooka into a bunch of crystal <laughs> dust. And he was hoping it would reform into his mother again. Do you work for Square Enix? Like, you're, you're scaring me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Some of the cinematography in this final cutscene is very beautiful. That shot of lightning looking at Cocoon is very evocative. It's a shame because you know the developers meant for this ending to evoke triumphant feelings, but the story is such a mess, I feel nothing for the stakes or the characters. Like, that's a, that's a big problem in this game, is that, like, I don't care about this world, because I don't care about many characters. It's an interesting world, I'm interested in the lore, but, like, the people of this world, the character of it, I feel nothing. You don't feel like you've defied any fate or that you've come to the end of any epic struggle. It's barely even a sigh. You did. You didn't defy anything. You did right, what no. the villain wanted the whole time, and then just via plot magic, it worked out in the last thirty seconds. Right. And there's no reason why. Like, why? Why are our characters not crystal again? Why were they crystal in the first? Well, they were crystal because they did. They killed uh, Orphan. But like the other thing that's weird about this is that this entire cutscene, they're playing a song in the background called "My Hands" by Leona Lewis, and that doesn't work at all. It's just a pop song about like you're putting on your makeup and you're feeling good and you whatever. It, it, it really basically what happens like, is I like yeah, the sound of yeah, it, no. but if the lyrics about putting on makeup, that's not Final Fantasy. That's like the very first line of the song that you hear, and I was like, this is very jarring because what happened was okay. What doing, if it was uh, instead what, as Cocoon falls to the ground and hopes looking for his mother, wake up in the morning feeling like P Diddy. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I shut off the console. That would be, that would be better. That's when I shut off the console. I and I quit this podcast. Yeah, yeah. No, the reason why the song's there is like they were making a trailer for it, and like somebody at Square Enix heard that song and said, "I like that song. That song is going in my game." So they put it in a game trailer in like 2005, and then they no, stuck wait, it at wait. the end of this game. I swear to God, I got it. That's what it is. Hope scans the horizon for his mother, and then you just hear sail. Do 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 do. <laughs> that's what it is right they just pick some fucking random song that they like to call it a day yeah that's that is what happened i mean like the tone of it with like the the soft poppy thing that works because it's final fantasy a lot of final fantasies have pop songs in it but yeah it really was very jarring in this scene that what was being sung about didn't fit at all with the game we just played like not even like as a rough sense of Oh, this is about fate and love and friendship and overcoming odds. It's it's not that at all. It's some other like affirming pop song. Let's talk, let's talk about the whole game now, right? Okay. Yeah. Here's my thing. 
Nothing in the entire game fucking matters except for <laughs> the very last second where they decide to save Cocoon, where none of it matters, right? Mm-hmm. So we have from chapter one to chapter nine where our characters are self-motivated, and that's great, right? That's good yeah. That's good shit. And then at the end of chapter nine, Barbara Tandela says, oh, all that stuff he did, none of that mattered. You're just doing my plan, lol. And that fucking sucks. Because there's the entire game you've mm-hmm. played so far, which is three quarters of the game, completely negated. So then your party yeah. picks a new goal, and then we start doing that goal, and that goal is way less good because it's now on this backdrop of, like, typical anime garbage, right? Mm-hmm. And then we get to the end, and then Bartandala says, well, that was also my plan. Get fucked. <laughs> so now we're at the point where the entirety of the game doesn't matter at all. The only thing that matters is... Which direction did Ragnarok shoot through Cocoon? Did he shoot through the part where the people live or through the bottom to save it? None of the other characters matter other than fucking Fang and Vanille. At the very end, in the last 30 seconds, it's the only part of the game that has any consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like when you when you think about it more, yeah, Fang and Vanille are the only ones that had anything to do. It's and it the doesn't only seem like choice the other... that happens in the whole game with any consequence. And none of the other characters, like, changed them that much. Like, Vanille, okay, she admits some of the things she was hiding from people. To Fang! To Fang, and that's the only part of it that, like, it doesn't feel like the other characters had an effect on them enough to make even that choice meaningful. It just... No! Okay, there was the part where they said, oh, let's make Cocoon our home, and then they immediately saved Cocoon, and then, I guess, they're home? Yeah, okay. Let's Let's go to that, right? Fang doesn't change at all as a character in this game, no. really, at all. No. She comes in the person she is, and that's that. And the only thing that changes about Vanille is she tells Fang, I lied to you earlier, but that doesn't matter at all either, because you still are were doing the thing, right? Right, it doesn't change their behavior, that like the choices they're making. No, Not that's really. what I'm saying. It, fuck it. <laughs> in our show documents right here in the wrap-up thoughts i have one bullet point that just says fuck this game <laughs> uh yeah it just kind of you know they ran out of time they decided to stop rewrites and you could tell because they just kind of went once you leave cocoon in chapter i guess 10 is technically still on cocoon but you know chap- after chapter 9 Anything that happens after that is completely superfluous and unnecessary in terms Turns of... Turns out everything that happened before that was superfluous and unnecessary. Right, like, imagine this. Imagine that you just went from chapter 9 to chapter 12. Like, you immediately showed up in Eden. There's a full-on battle. Like, yeah, maybe you don't understand what these Pulsian creatures are or anything like that. But otherwise, the game is just better. That would have made it better. That would have made it better. You know, I'm in the post game now. I mean, you guys are done with it. Well, okay. I'm not done with it yet. All right, but you, you guys are way farther than I oh, am. I'm metaphorically done with it. <laughs> I did not complete it. I'm just done with it. Right, and like I'm doing the extra stuff, and these these missions are just they're uh, well. I guess we'll get into it. But they like, suck. Nothing, nothing they do there is of consequence to the plot either, or just to anything. No, it, it's it's <laughs> gameplay for the sake of gameplay. There's no narrative about it, right. or. It's right, but the, the gameplay game hasn't play. been that good either. <laughs> like, no, that's that's the other well, problem. I, I'll I'll argue against that, but we'll get into it. That's, well, let's talk about it now, right? Because this is no, this no, basically we gotta talk about it. Because we, we have two episodes, <laughs> we have two episodes to talk about it. 
I'm, I'm talking about like encounter design in the game in general. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right? Because this is basically where we're wrapping up the game itself, and then we're going to talk mm-hmm. about the post game. So, like, this game just, it, the, the systems are really good, and I'm having a good time. And then in chapter nine, the game just shits the bed. Mm-hmm. You, the second they let you pick your party, they don't have a baseline to design encounters around. They don't say, I uh-huh. know you have somebody who is a commando and a ravager. And then you have the other character who's a saboteur and the medic. They don't have that. So they have no idea how to design an encounter. So they just compensate by turning the numbers up. Right. I mean, they, yeah, because it's presumably they want anybody in just about any configuration to beat the game. But yeah. also there are just so many combinations that just don't feel viable or like they're only viable at a certain development point, you know. And, and then chapter 11 yeah. happens. And then after chapter 11, they even lose the ability to know what level you are, like what your relative power is, because you get right. these other crystariums and you can theoretically do the entirety of the post game. So then the numbers just get fucking higher. Well, you can't do the entire crystarium because you still got to beat the game to get the final level. So yeah, but that's not that big yeah. of a deal. No. Oh, well, yeah. Army of one, though, <laughs> you know. This is Matt, your editor, cutting in. Uh, I got nothing for this one. Imagine well, doing no, a post-game without that. Army of One. Yeah, but you get that. And it, it's fine. Not not in Chapter 11. Oh, yeah, well, you... That's what I'm... Sure, sure. Yeah, you don't have Army of One at that point. Yeah, but yeah. you could still dunk on a ton of dudes, right? Like, oh, the, totally. all the big dudes die to death, and at a certain point, there are just enough numbers in the Crystarium at that point that it wouldn't matter. So, like, mechanically speaking, the second they let you have any choice, the game falls apart completely. Right. And it's just too clunky to experiment with different setups, because I don't want to have to completely reconfigure my thing, because it's not just you replace one character with another. You basically have to completely rethink your paradigms and... You know, like if I wanted if I wanted haste earlier and I need Saz in there, Saz means I can't really use hope, which also can't mean I can't really use lightning. You know, it's there are two parties. Really, yeah, basically. Right. I know. Yeah. I'll disagree with that. I think that like there's a lot of really interesting combinations you can do. I don't think like like in the late game. Sure. But like for chapters, at least 11, 12 and 13, I tried something unconventional and it half worked for a section of it. Like, my girls' night out party was very good for the second half of 11, and then terrible for the rest of the game. Yeah, like, for the main game, unless you're going to spend forever grinding up, you either play Snow, Saz, and Vanille, or you play Lightning, Fang, and Hope. Mm -hmm. And and Lightning, Fang, and Hope are, I think, objectively better. (laughs) It's, like, just the best... it is commonly referred to as like the most effective party. There's no like, there's no, okay, I won't say there's no denying that because people can debate that if they want, but like, I, it's a very popular opinion and setup. And I, I, and I felt it because I, I tried, you know, I tried to mix it up and I, I didn't want to use Snow, but so I didn't use him. But like, I, I tried to use other combinations. I tried Saz, Fang, and Lightning, and that didn't work. And I tried to use, Vanille, Saz, and Lightning, and that didn't work. And, you know, it's until you put in the time and the effort and the CP to give everyone all the roles, you can't really mix and match that much. And why would you do that, right? You're just papering over bad design with hours and hours of your time. Yeah, it's (laughs) true. true. It's not a good idea. And, like, 
if there were more enemy variety, that would be fine, right? Like, spoilers for the postgame, I punched out because I, the fifth mission where I fight a goblin with more hit points, and I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. Anyway, Graham, <laughs> sorry we keep interrupting you. Um, <laughs> no, that's that's perfectly that's perfectly rational to think that. Um, like, to get into, like, my thoughts on this game and what I think about it, I think I'm going to close the book on this game. Now, my experience with this game and playing it for this podcast, I think it was a lot better than you guys. But still, like, Mm -hmm. I think I've played through this game maybe three or four times now, and I'm ready to just close the book on it and not touch it for, like, a long time, if ever again. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I played it before, and I'm like, listen to the first episode again. I was very excited, but now I'm an adult, and I'm going to die one day. (laughs) I will never play this game again. I like first three quarters of the game are really great. And I had a ton of fun and I was very excited. So I'm sorry if I'm salty, but you know, we're going to play 13 too. I did some research. They apparently addressed my mechanical problems and then they realized that the plot doesn't matter. So they wrote a plot where nothing matters. So I'm on board. Yeah. I came to this game at a time where I wasn't playing games and everything was fresh and new and different. And I knew this experience was not going to be the Final Fantasy I was used to. So I I had that knowledge going in and I had, you know, the spectacle was great. And I thought the battle system was a whole lot of fun. You know, it it definitely kept me engaged the whole way through because you can't really sleepwalk through these battles. You still got to execute. Even if it's a boring fight, you still got to pay attention. So, like, it's not like I'm mashing X through through battles. Well, I'm still mashing X a lot, but I, you, know, you can't just like, you know, watch a TV show while you're playing this game like you're grinding in, in earlier Final Fantasies. So coming back to this, uh, it affirmed the things I liked about it were still good, but it also I was more aware of its flaws and the parts where it breaks down. Overall, I think the game it's a little lower in my memory than when I came in. Like, I can definitely better understand what the flaws are now. And I can better articulate that. But I also noticed more nuggets that I thought were really good. People talk like the entire plot is garbage. And it's mostly true. It's mostly garbage. The part that matters is garbage. But like there are little moments in there where you go, okay, I can see that they were they put some effort into some of these ideas. And then it's reasonably well acted. Yeah, like even even if you think the characters are bad, they do good character work. Yeah, like compare this to, I don't know, you know, I I was playing Final Fantasy 12, the remake earlier last year, and there just isn't a lot that happens with these characters in that game. And I love that game. Like, don't get me wrong. I love the systems in that game. I love the world in that game. But you think, has anybody really changed? Is there any part where somebody really goes through, I don't know, a crisis of faith or I, I haven't finished the game, but I just feel like characters in earlier games were way more static and had fewer options to to emote they were just mostly let's kill the guy in front of us oh then let's kill this next guy in front of us oh the big bad is trying to to do a thing let's stop them from doing a thing i feel like this actually has stuff underneath it that that feels more potent i got bad news for you matt (laughs) final fantasy 12 is just final fantasy 13 but instead of about character work it's about like world building and politics, but they do the same thing that they do in Final Fantasy 13, where fuck all that, that that didn't matter. Yeah, I, I heard that the end kind of shits the back. I, like, I agree yeah. with you, but it feels more intentional. I love that game, too. Mm-hmm. It's not clumsy 
like the ending of Final Fantasy 13 is. It's disappointing, but not clumsy. I like that game a lot, for the record. <laughs> yeah. I it, I think I think I like Final Fantasy 12 a lot, but I just I don't know if I have motivation to play it anymore. Eh. Yeah, I mean, I, I will go back and finish it because I want to see the end of that game, and I, I like the systems. To bring and... it back to Final Fantasy thirteen, I uh, I'm kind of disappointed that the creators of this game never really took this kind of gameplay, this tactical action combat, and evolved it. Like, and I mean, like in terms of the whole trilogy, the Lightning trilogy, it's a real shame because I think that. You know, replaying this game for this podcast made me realize just like how flawed these systems are. It's a shame that they never really got good at this kind of game. What do you think is bad about the systems? It's like the systems are the only part I think that are an unqualified success. I think it just could be like a little bit more complex. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think what maybe what you're detecting is that they don't design around the system that they built, right? Like, you have a system, but none of the enemies interact with it meaningfully. Right. Like I mentioned, the whole point of, oh, they could have done a thing where you don't want to stagger a guy. That is an interesting twist on the system you've been playing for 40 hours. I mean, and you may actually want to do that, but it doesn't signal that, and it doesn't quite give you the tools to that, or, like, say to you, hey, maybe you shouldn't stagger this guy. You just kind of have to figure that out for yourself for the all the rapid iteration you can do because it's very friendly on game overs it still doesn't feel like it wants you to experiment all that much like there's too much friction in changing up your setup and there's too much friction in not knowing that oh i have to go then look up what high wind does and then control fang which i've never done all game and try to use this skill and hope it works fast enough because we're all doing this on a time limit you sound like you're bad. How could you not understand what Highwind does when it says has different effects under various circumstances? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I'm not a data miner, you know? <laughs> All right, I think, I think we've pretty much wrung this one dry. Yeah. <laughs> Wrapping it up. Would you recommend Final Fantasy 13 to another human? Like, not to anyone. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. Like, if a person has seen this uh, kind of combat on, like, a Let's Play or in a video, and they think it's interesting, then I'd recommend them checking it out on sale. That's pretty much it. Yeah, same thing. Like, if you like systems, get it for 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. If you if you like character work, get it for 10 bucks, and then just uninstall the game at the end of Chapter 8. Yeah, I would say the same thing. Like, unless, if you make it through Chapter 7, and then maybe Chapter 8... And no, chapter eight is a uh, Saz and Vanille. I think that's like the high point of the game in terms of character work. Yeah, it definitely closes the loop. I just feel like the crescendo of chapter seven is so big. You could walk away there and be fine. Oh, that's but, true. Yeah, that's the thing is that like going from seven to eight, it's such a just step down in stakes. It's a little jarring, but it, it, it's fine. You could do either. That's like, true. Oh, you go from a swap break into playing hide and seek with a baby chocobo. Yeah, it's a real, like, switch, and when I was playing it, I'm like, man, all the good stuff just happened, why are we here? (laughs) But anyway, yeah, so, yeah, somewhere between end of seven, and then maybe, if you're really liking it, end of nine, and then evaluate, do I like these systems enough to to keep playing, because then the rest of the game is all just playing with with a little less focus, then, yeah, I would totally do it. Like, play it for, you know, 20-ish hours if you seem interested in it and then don't feel bad if you walk away at that point. Cause yeah, 
I mean, the Bartendless fight is good, but I wouldn't go through all of Chapter 9 just for it. Oh, that's like four hours for a thing you could watch on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's not that much of a wrinkle compared to other fights you've done. It's just it's slightly more scaled up and you've got, you know, because you got those ads that do different attacks and you just got to, you know, bum rush them. Well, Matt, where can the people who somehow like Final Fantasy 13 get in touch with us to complain about this episode? You can email the show using the contact form on our website, lightningstrikesthrice.com, or get in touch with us via Twitter at LightXThrice or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash LightXThrice. You can listen to my other podcast on the network, uh, Magmar Sucks, where we build an ordered list of all Pokemon from most to least interesting, one Pokemon at a time. Do you guys have anything you want to share with the listeners? I am unplugged. I'm going to go outside now after this. (laughs) Every time you say that, I want to make a joke about how missionary your, like how vanilla your sex is. <laughs> uh, I would have gone with uh, uh, MTV Unplugged, but you know. I'm sorry, I'm not old. What is that? <laughs> oh, it's that one time Nirvana did a thing. Yeah, that band. No, actually, no. <laughs> yes, it would be really weird if I lived in Seattle and somehow did not know who Nirvana was because no one will shut <laughs> the fuck up about it. <laughs> uh, they're, they're all right. They, they're fine. I enjoyed Inetoril once, or in utero. Yeah. Oh, okay. Anyway, in plug in, in utero. Plug in. It's a uterus. I am plugging my Let's Play of New Threat, a gameplay mod for Final Fantasy VII. I'm still doing that, and it's still golden. I'm having a good time with it. Yeah, check it out. It's pretty good. That's all for now. Uh, next week we will be talking about either half or all of the post game. Depending on how long it takes, you might get it all in one episode. You might get it in two. After that, we'll be taking a week break, and then we will come back with Final Fantasy Thirteen too. Hey. So, uh, see you next time. Yep. Cool. Awake in the morning, tired of sleeping. Get in the shower and make my bed alone. I put on my makeup. Talking to the mirror, ready for a new day. Without you and I walk steady on my feet, I talk, my voice obeys me. I go out at night, sleep without the lights, and I do all of the things I have to, keeping you on my mind. But when I think I am always stronger. This podcast was brought to you by the Pitch Drop Podcast Network. Like what you just heard? Support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash pitch drop. And while you're at it, check out pitchdrop.net for more of this and other shows.